and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Here we go. Don't you think about Well, hi, everyone. I'm Lori LeBay, the host of Alzheimer's Speaks Radio, and I'm thrilled you're here to join us today. We're going to be talking about the challenges that young adults have when they are caring for a loved one with dementia. And before I introduce you to our guest, I always just want to welcome our new listeners. For those of you that aren't familiar with us, Alzheimer's Speaks was started because my own mother lived with the disease for 30 years. And I just felt lost and frustrated, like where are the rest of the families like us and where are all the services, products and tools and and why aren't we having a conversation um, regarding this on a broader level. So I decided I was going to tackle that myself and um, see if we could connect people to services, products and tools, um, fill them with hope and have a realistic conversation on what dementia means. to everybody and how does it affect them? Our goal is really to give you sound information, not just sound bites. You know, our shows usually go for about an hour, um, but they're an authentic conversation. So maybe you could be our next guest. Everyone is welcome. We just have one rule and that is that we have to be respectful in terms of our conversation. So we have people living with dementia. We have family members. We have business professionals in a wide variety of realms. Uh, We have musicians and directors and authors and activists and advocates and children. So everyone truly is welcomed on the show. And if you're interested, just reach out to me at radio at alzheimerspeaks.com. I also want to give a shout out to the Mark Arneson band. Uh, They allow us to use their music called Clarion Call for our opening music. And you can go ahead and download that on any of your favorite music platforms. I also want to let you know that we have a main platform called alzheimerspeaks.com. And there you will find all kinds of free educational resources. We have one section just devoted to that. So please check that out. We also have a tab for our upcoming book that's going to be launched. I have had a keynote called Betty the Bald Chicken. Uh, lessons in how to care forever. And we're finally making that into a children's book that's going to be launching here soon. Uh, But we're taking pre-orders. And then if you're looking for someone for speaking for training or educational purposes or marketing and branding, we have all kinds of opportunities that you can tap into there. Um, Who else? I wanted to give a shout out to the Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner as well as the foot bar walker. And of course, I want to give a shout out to Dementia Map, which is a global resource directory that myself and Dave Wiedrich put together. We have over 150 categories that you can search. There's a blog, there's a calendar of events, there's a glossary of terms and so much more. So please feel free to go to DementiaMap.com and check that out. And if you'd like a tour, there's a spot where um, right in the upper right-hand corner, you can click on that. And actually, I would be the one to give you that tour. So I hope to see you soon uh, checking out Dementia Map. But for right now, let's get to our topic at hand. And that is, again, young adults facing challenges when they're taking care of a parent or a loved one with dementia. So today, I want to introduce you to Lily Morales whose mother has what doctors believe is vascular dementia. Lily has been on this journey with her mother now for eight years. And our focus today will really be on the why and how young adults are caring for those living with a form of dementia and how is it affecting not only the person with dementia's life, but their own. So Lily, I'm really excited to have you on the show today. So first of all, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. 
No, thank you for having me here. Well, you know, I always start out with the first question with all of my guests being, have you been touched by dementia in your own family and circle of friends? And I've already told our audience that your mom has been living with dementia for about eight years, but do you want to give us a little more history um, on that? Or have there been others in your family or circle of friends that you've dealt with as well? That in my family? No, my mom is the first one in my family to have uh, been diagnosed with di dementia. Um, I think it was when I was with my ex. Uh, he's the one that actually brought it to my attention. Like, hey, your mom has an issue. She's having a lot of memory issue. And um, she's showing signs of dementia because he has he has uh, his grandma that passed away, had Alzheimer's. So he was the one that told me, like, I think your mom has it, too. Mm -hmm. And I was at first I was like, no, she's fine. She just forgets. You know, it's, it's the age. It's like, you know, it's just um, what's it called? It's just her, you know, having so much in her brain at the one time. And she's not, you know, processing very well. She's just forgetting little things here and there. And then sure enough, um couple years later, she has a heart attack and her memory it actually is worse. And they told me, like, do you know your mom has this? And I'm like, I've been suspecting it for a while, but her doctors don't think she has it. But they're like, no, she does have dementia mm -hmm. and we think it's vascular. They haven't really told me officially that it's vascular, but because she has heart issues, they think it's vascular dementia. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks for, for sharing that. When you first found out, um, I, I know you said, you know, your, your ex kind of told you that he thought this was happening and stuff. How did it hit you emotionally? It was a lot. I was just like, all right. Um, I don't think I have ever even processed it because I haven't really shown any emotion to it other than my mom needs me. My mom needs me to be the strong one. My mom needs me to be the one remembering for her. And my mom needs me to be the one to make sure she is, you know, taking her medicine, going to her doctor's appointment. So I don't, I don't think I have honestly processed it in my brain fully. Okay. Well, and that's, that's fairly common. You know, one of the things we talked offline about was the importance of spreading awareness about the disease, especially to younger adults. What's the best way for us to go about doing that? And are, are you actively doing that yourself? With my friends, my group of friends? Yes. I keep telling them like, wow, it's really, it's one thing about taking care of a child, but there's another thing when it's taking care of a parent. And especially with the decline, a child learns from their mistakes. A child knows what they're doing is wrong. But a parent that has dementia, it's it's the opposite. They, you know, you tell them, no, that's not right. You try to correct them. You try to teach them the right way. But 10 minutes later, they do it again or they forget what's going on and it's a little more difficult. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I, I try to like talk to my friends about it, like how it is because a lot of my friends do have kids and um, it's not that I compare them. It's just that it's just like, um, it's very, very different, but similar at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it, and it is a really um, kind of a good picture because I think people can see where kids grow and they learn, you know, um, processes and things like that. And when they don't, we know how frustrated we get as as parents or just people around watching the situation. Um, and and again, when it comes to dementia, they a lot of them lose the ability to make those processes. Um, you know, go forward. And, and so it can be really frustrating uh, when someone's repeating themselves 45 times in 10 minutes, or when, you know, I just told you that. And a lot of times we're giving directions in multiple steps that they can't handle anymore. And we have to pull those, pull those back. What kind of response do you get from your friends when you talk about, um, you know, dealing with your mom's dementia? Do they do you think they understand? 
Uh, some of them do, because I do know a couple of my friends that they have, like, you know, their own loved ones that has, uh, like, dementia or some type of Alzheimer's. Um, the rest, I think they try to understand. They're very supportive. They're very, um, you know, they'd be like, you're such a great daughter. You're taking your time. You're sacrificing a lot. And it and it's, it is a lot of sacrifices that you do have to make on a day-to-day basis. Um, but I just try to keep it positive and I just try to make sure my mom's happy at the end of the day. That's very commendable. And that's not an easy task all the time to do that. What do you think would be some of the best ways for organizations to be able to reach younger generations and, and educate them, you know, and, and make them more aware about the, you know, the different types of dementia and the care that's needed? I think targeting them through social media, social media is one of the biggest things that influences like young adults lives. They're on social media, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok a lot. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you can't personally uh, know what it's like with dementia until you actually go through it with yourself, like uh, with the parent or grandparents or a friend or somebody that's, uh, that's close to your family. Mm-hmm. So I think social media is one of the biggest things that um, everybody uses. They're on it day to day. I know I'm on TikTok quite a few times a day. Um, but yeah, I would say social media. Okay. And that, that is helpful. And and everybody kind of has their own brands and favorites, you know, of what they like out there too. Just like with using a phone. Some people like to talk, some people like to leave messages, some people like to text, you know, all of those uh, different things there. You know, one of the problems I think that people have is putting ourselves first as as care partners. Uh, There's a lot of guilt. We feel really bad about that. Have you experienced that yourself where you just, you just feel bad when you think about doing something for yourself? Yeah, actually every day. <laughs> um, so basically like I start work at 5 a.m., but I work from home, luckily. Um, and when I wake up, I go straight to the bathroom and sometimes I'm just like, wait, 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 I really, really, really gotta go. Let me go first. I'll let you go next. Even if you have an accident, I'll clean you up. It's fine. But let me go first. <laughs> you know, little stuff like that. I try to like uh put myself first a little bit like with um you know having to shower them now that I don't really have any type of like support at home where uh like you know I could take like a couple minutes for myself to go to the bathroom on my own I have to bring her with me or then she'll like run off or if I have to go to you know shower I have to bring her with me because then she'll run off and it's just little things like that where you you have to make the sacrifices and putting them first, but also all take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. You have to find a happy medium of where you could be doing both, be watching her and be doing the things you need to do. Like when I'm working, she's sitting right next to me and I'm keeping her to take. Okay. Well, and the things you're talking about going to the bathroom and taking a shower, those are, most people would not put those as kind of self-care, taking care of themselves. They would, they just take that as for granted. Of course, I would be able to do that, but it's not, it isn't that easy, you know, Mm -hmm. at at all to be able to do that. Now, when you say she would wander off, would she leave your home or would she maybe get into something that wasn't safe within the home? What what are you dealing with as far as wandering? Uh, a little bit of both. At first, she um she would try to like cook something, and she'll try to like mess with the uh, stove knobs. But then we put like the childproof um, stove knobs, so she left that alone after she's figured out that she can't mess with it anymore and now it's more like of her trying to run away um there's been a couple times that uh I go to the bathroom I come out and she's gone and I'm like chasing after her down the street she's already down the block going I I don't know where but she's long gone and I'm chasing after her trying to get her back into the house 
because you you're not allowed to lock the gate because then it's considered kidnapping. Okay. So do you use any type of um, tracking modes at all, like with bracelets or slipping, you know, they have those, um, oh, I can't, those tags that you can maybe slip into a pocket in their clothes or their shoes. Um, have you tried anything like that? I actually do. I have a watch that tracks her. And also I have a bracelet with, um, you know, saying her name, dementia patient, if she's easily confused and she, she gets lost to give me a call in case she is found in some, and she doesn't know where she is in case she doesn't, she's not wearing the watch. She's always wearing the bracelet. Mm -hmm. So we always have one or the other. Okay. Because I know, um, you know, there's other things too, like there are little alarms that you can buy, you know, for the door. Um, there's there's cameras, there's so many different things that people can leverage. But mm -hmm. again, there's that point of, <clears throat> are you invading their privacy or what's safe? And so um, I know even like at in Menards and Home Depot, you can buy uh, little alarms for the doors for like uh, typically under like $25. Um, they can just, because over time, I mean, maybe you're falling asleep and all of a sudden they're going to scoot out and that would, you know, wake you up, um, in case something like that would happen or, um, <clears throat> because they can be kind of tricky. Other people have changed where the locks are on the door. Mm. I don't know if you've ever tried that where they've put a, a, even like a chain, um, link or another deadbolt up towards the top. Mm -hmm. And they don't know to, to look there to unlock it because they're just used to doing the regular doorknob thing for, for unlocking. So there's, there's all kinds of different things I know that people have, have tried, but that whole safety issue, that's really scary. That's a really, yeah. really scary thing. And um, <clears throat> it's nice if she wears the watch, but if she's not wearing the watch, you know, then, then you don't, you really can't monitor her with having that you know, kind of invisible fence around her <laughs> to, to know what's what. Um, and there are different types of, of bracelets too. I don't know, they, they, you know, they used to have just kind of the metal ones that were engraved and would have the person's name and maybe a contact and um, what the issue was. But now they have ones even with um, USBs on them that can have all kinds of contact information and even medications and stuff. So if there was an emergency, the um, EMTs and stuff could plug that in and be able to find information out or nicknames. And I mean, there, there's just so, so many um, variables there. What type of bracelet have you chosen to, to use? It's a, a metal plate one with the information. Okay. And then it's um, the watch that we have. It's called the Care. Mm -hmm. It's a GPS tracking watch. It's pretty, it's pretty accurate. Um, just that the battery life on those watch, you have to at least charge it at least three times a day. And, you know, sometimes when you're running a muck and you're, you're running to errands, you're cleaning, you're doing this and you're trying to get them to stay clean. Cause you know, what if they have an accident? So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot to like, keep continue to be charging the watch. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot every every time i know some people use the the apple watches or they will just use a regular phone and put the jail search but again if the person doesn't grab the phone it doesn't do you any good that's why yeah. the, the air tags i know some people have used that or they've even um made like a little pocket on their clothes where they can just tuck it into but it doesn't go through the wash so it doesn't wreck it <laughs> you know on the other hand either um so yeah, that's uh, that's hard. Now, does she pretty much sleep through the night, or are you? Oh no, we're okay. So that's really tough when you're not able to sleep through the night. Um, you know, if they're not sleeping through the night, do you worry that she could wander? You know, while you're asleep. I I'm definitely a light sleeper because of that because I sometimes I feel her grabbing my foot and I wake up and I'm like. Immediately scared. Immediately scared because she grabs my foot. I'm like, okay, what's going on? Like, who who's grabbing me by the foot? And it's her. And she wakes up, and I just 
put on the TV. Luckily, I do have one of those little latches on the doors up top, but she doesn't even reach. So she can't get it out of the room. That's uh, that's one thing for sure. But she just watches the TV and then goes back to sleep. Okay. Well, but that's... I just make sure she's not like touching anything that she's not supposed to. And then I go back to sleep. Okay. Okay. Well, it sounds like you've got a good mode there. Um, for you, was it hard getting diagnosed? I hear from so many families that it takes so long yeah, it took a really long time. It took a couple years. It actually, um, the year that she had her heart attack, my mom had a heart attack. Um, they that's when they told me like, "Hey, do you know your mom has this?" And I'm like, "Yes, I. You, you're basically a doctor. Actually, confirmed it with me. They're like, she has dementia. And I'm like, yes. And they're like, are you being seen by the right specialist? By this, by that? And I'm like. No, because I've been trying to get this diagnosis. They won't see you if you're not diagnosed mm -hmm. with the with the disease. And that's where we like slowly started getting a neurologist involved. Um, she has her um her heart doctor involved. She um she also has had like a small stroke in her brain. It was so minimal that it didn't physically impaired her. It was more mentally. And um, it's been it's been really tough because I I see a huge decline in her dementia, and they told me her the process of dementia for her is gonna be a lot quicker because she has a smaller brain and her brain is so atrophy that the that it's gonna be a lot quicker for her that she's gonna go through stages a lot faster she's gonna forget a lot faster so it's it's been very difficult. Wow. And you've been dealing with it for eight years already. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that, that makes it, makes it tough. And I think right now, especially it's so hard to get into a doctor and you have to have a referral to get to the specialist and they don't really want to refer you to the specialist because they're so backlogged. Um, what I'm hearing is, you know, six to 12 months out before yeah. people can even get an appointment. And that's an awful long time because most families aren't going in early. They're going in when they're pulling their hair out, going something's really wrong. And when you have to wait that long, um, things can drastically change. And in the meantime, they really aren't given any support. I would love to see at least the medical professionals say, you know, call the Alzheimer's Association or the Louis body or, you know, go to Dementia Map. You know, these are where you can find some resources. But I, I'm not hearing that from anybody around the world that that is happening. And I think that's a big, big rabbit hole that needs to be dealt with. Um, because it's, it's to me, it's almost sinful that people have to wait this long. Yeah, there's, there's like a huge, I mean, like you said, a huge rabbit hole. Um, I know for in my case, my my mom's primary doctor, she's like, are you getting the support that you need? Are you, you know, are you taking care of yourself? Are you putting yourself first? But I'm like, it's really hard putting yourself first when you don't have the support team that you need, especially from doctors, because I don't understand it. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm literally doing I'm taking I'm doing this day to day and I'm just going off on my own, like the uh, today this worked okay tomorrow's not gonna work the same because she's not gonna be having the same symptoms as she was the the day before and it's it's uh, there's no roadmap or there's no um how you call it handbook to say do this and if you keep doing this then it's gonna come out to you know her being better but it's not gonna get better because there's no cure for dementia yeah well, and the other thing is when you not only are you, you know, self-educating yourself, that takes more time because, you know, I, I know when I, when, when this happened to my family, I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't even know what to search for. I didn't know what kind <laughs> of help was even out there, you know, and so that makes you flounder even more. And so, you know, we've got to do better in terms of getting Definitely. directed to, resources, products, and tools, and groups, and, and informational forums that, that will not let them feel so isolated, because I don't know if you experience this, but I hear this from so many families at all different levels, from young kids to, 
to um, couples who have been married, you know, for 70 years, how isolating this disease can be, not only to the person diagnosed, but to the one caring for them. And it definitely has. And it definitely you, has. You felt that yourself? Oh, definitely. Especially, um, I had made a huge move from LA to San Diego. Um just because I needed to get out of a really horrible situation and I needed to get my mom away from something so toxic. I, um, I feel very isolated here in San Diego because I don't feel like I have the support. I'm living at my uncle's house. He's always at work and he's could, And, you know, my cousins, they're always, they're, they're young, they're teenagers. They don't understand having somebody with dementia around. And it's a, it's been a lot harder because now it's 100% me. Back when I was in LA, I had a little bit more support. Um, back when I was with my ex, my ex would take care of my mom while I worked or while I showered, while I go to the bathroom, while I did little things for myself. Now it's just like my mom's attached to my hip 24-7. I don't have that support here. Mm -hmm. And it's been a lot, it's been, um, a lot harder and I've gotten into many 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 conversations with my sisters and my siblings that I can't do this anymore mentally physically emotionally I told them I'm like it's been eight years I've been doing this on my own eight years with no family support and I need the support now more than ever and we're making the transition of them coming to pick up my mom and taking care of her taking her to Connecticut we're in that process. Okay. And that's the, you know, the whole other side of the country. So yeah, <laughs> it's going to be a huge transition for her. Yeah. So uh, whereabouts are your siblings all located? Are they all out East or? Um, for the most part. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. For the most part. Okay. I'm the only family member from my mom's side that's here in California. Okay. <clears throat> Yeah, that makes it hard. You'll have to go through a big adjustment too when she leaves. Yeah, I'm gonna have to find, figure out who I am after this because I've been Lily, the caretaker for her mother for so many years. And now I'm just gonna have to make a huge adjustment where I don't have her every day where I just, okay, so what do I do today now? Like I have all this free time. I don't have to be worrying about cooking cleaning well I do have to worry about that but like not for another human being just for myself mm -hmm. it's it's tough you know I did that my folks it was just kind of overwhelming and with this one it wasn't that my dad went someplace else to be cared for my dad had passed away but I had this huge opening in my life and I didn't you know and friends would say well what do you like to do and I'm like <laughs> I don't know. I, I haven't even considered that question for so many years. I mean, because you just don't put yourself first and it's really foreign to not know what you even like, you know, or what would you like to try? Because you get so far removed from that whole realm of living and in COVID, I'm sure has, has made that even worse and, you know, pulled people in so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tough transition and you really kind of, like you said, go, who do I want to be when I grow up? You know, yeah. <laughs> what do I want? And then the nice thing is it really opens the door for you to explore. And I know for me, like I started taking classes, I started traveling um, a little bit more and just kind of experimenting with what do I want my life to look like? Because I, I really didn't have a clue. Yeah, I would just prepare yourself for that. And, and also maybe how you're going to communicate with your family, because you're going to want to know how's it going at that other end, because you've been in control for so long. And yeah. so I would say, make sure that you have set up a, a strong communication system. And, you know, your mom's going to want to hear your voice. Um, and sometimes it's, sometimes talking on the phone doesn't work as well as like on zoom because they need to see you and they need to see your lips move and things like that. It's nice that they're stepping up, you know, to help with that. And, um, is it, is it just one of your siblings or is there going to be a few that will all kind of be helping care? 
It's going to be two of them. And they're older than me. I'm the youngest from my mom's side. My mom had a, quite a few kids. It's a very long story. But um, yeah, she it's my two older sisters. They're going to be taking care of her. And um, my oldest sister, she has two younger kids. And the youngest one, he, they come and visit every year. And like they come and see her. And but he doesn't understand it. He's like, why is grandma acting like this? Why is she not like, you know, uh, my mom has a tendency of if she sees something nice, she'll put it in her pocket. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just it's not her necessarily stealing it's her putting it away. Yeah, so nobody sure. else takes it. <laughs> yep. And he's like, grandma took my toy or grandma took this grandma took that. I'm like, but she doesn't know any better. Like, you know, you're you're a kid yourself, but grandma could you learn, but grandma's not learning at this point. Grandma is just declining. And it's a lot, it's a lot for like, you know, the younger ones to deal with it because they don't know. They just know that this is mine and grandma's touching it. Yep. Yep. When they get in that mind, mind, mind stage too, which makes it even depending on how old they are. You know, my mom used to, we would go out to eat and she would all, all this. I mean, you would, if you just turned your head for a second, she had every jelly packet, every butter packet, the sugar packets in her purse, you know, and a couple of times she nabbed salt and pepper shakers even off the table, which she would never do in a zillion years. But she also went back in time and maybe she was thinking of the days of depression when things were slim to none in terms of availability and things. I mean, you just don't know. When she moved into a nursing home, because my dad was there, her thing was she knew she had allergies. And so every time she saw a Kleenex box, she like lobbed onto it. And at the nursing home, once somebody has a Kleenex box, it's theirs. They can't like put it back. So she would have like 10 Kleenex boxes in her room, you know, and, and um, different things. And again, a Kleenex box looked like a Kleenex box. And she always thought it was hers. And she always knew she had allergies and she needed to have Kleenex by her. And so that was just one of those old ingrained habits you know, that um, she wanted to be prepared, you know, for and things. Um, same with like jewelry and all of that kind of stuff was really important to her too. And then it got to a point where we had to, we had to take her good jewelry away because we never knew what was going to end up happening to it and replace that or purses. She would lose, she would lose her purse and then that would get her really, really upset. Um, when she couldn't find it. So we started buying two and three purses that were the same. Mm -hmm. So if she lost one, staff could give her another one. And the other one would always pop up somewhere, you know, but just to try to keep her calm because she didn't, she couldn't backtrack. Yeah, most definitely. For my mom, she has a, she had a fascination of napkins. Mm -hmm. She would always find, she would stuff them in her bra, mm -hmm. stuff them in there. She'll always keep it. And also face masks. When the pandemic started, she, she, I think, I guess she was so used to, okay, here, put on your face mask, put on your face mask. Anywhere we would go, put on your face mask and also her shoes. She will not go to sleep if she does not have her shoes on. If she, it's her, she, I mean, shoes are off. Nope. She wakes up and she starts looking for them. She starts going like, she's like, nope, I'm not sleeping until I have my shoes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just let her sleep with her shoes because if she doesn't sleep, I can't sleep and we can't be both. Not well, sleeping. and you have to pick your battles. And I mean, you can go back to some time, you know, way back in time where she didn't feel safe and maybe she was going to have to run in the middle of the night. I mean, you don't, we don't always know what our parents have been through, yeah. you know, cause a lot of things that, that weren't good experiences were hidden from us exactly. and stuff. And so what I always find is that there's usually a logical rationale to why they want to do something. We just mm -hmm. don't know what it is all the time. But I, I like that you're allowing her to sleep with her shoes on because it's about comfort. It's about her comfort and her comfort affects your comfort. Sometimes we get in this as care partners, we get in this role of, 
No, you don't sleep with your shoes on. And then it, everything just kind of escalates and then nobody's sleeping and everybody's angry and it, that gets you nowhere where it's like, exactly. okay, so she wears the shoes to bed. It's what we're all going to live. This isn't a safety issue and it's, it's calming to her. And I think, I think that's one of the biggest lessons that, that any care partner at any age needs to learn is that we really have to focus on emotional comfort when it comes to dementia, because again, you know, when they're comfortable, we can be more comfortable too. We're not as, as anxious and as stressed and it's letting go of our control patterns, you know, it's letting go of those right and wrong, you know, moments and, and things that we've been taught over our life aren't really as near as important as what we, what we thought they were. I think, you know, those, like you said, those sleep issues are so drastically important because if you get sleep deprived, I mean, it's hard to catch up on something like that. And when you're sleep deprived, you know, chances are you're going to land in the hospital before they are. Yeah. That's what I've heard a lot of like a lot of times caregivers and caretakers, they end up landing in the hospital because they neglect their own health needs. Mm-hmm. They neglect the um, the headaches, the, you know, et cetera, whatever is going on with your body, you start ignoring it because you're in your mind. It's just like my mom or my loved one needs me more than I need to go to the doctor. And which is not true. You need it as much. Mm-hmm. And, um, with my mom, I'm very thankful because she's she's a very anxious person, but she's not aggressive at all. Mm-hmm. She's not aggressive. She's not violent. She's very, very happy. You you just start doing a happy dance with her. She starts dancing with you, you know, and she likes to go up to people, strangers, um, to say hi to them and give them a hug and say, how are you? You know, and she acts like if she knows this person. A lot of people understand it. A lot of people don't. But I try to keep her as happy and I try to keep her personality uh, because I feel like it's very important because if you just let her fall into that depression of letting her cry, I'll be like, okay, we're not. It's not that I don't let her cry. It's just that let's go ahead and let's start dancing, mm-hmm. you know? let's let's dance a little bit instead of crying let's dance let's dance it out like I don't want her to fall into that depression or fall into the aggressiveness Mm -hmm. well and that's smart you've you've learned to help them transition help your mom transition you know out of one state into another and I think so often especially nowadays um, I think we're having such a mental health crisis because we've you know, we've told people don't show that, but we haven't given an outlet to it. And when you're giving, you know, a physical outlet, you know, for those emotions, it's um, amazing what happens. And, you know, and so she's not bubbling up and getting more anxious and, and more aggressive or, you know, whatever might be going on. But when you, when you see that, then you get anxious and you start bubbling up and then you both start feeding off one another and you don't even realize it's happening. And so as care partners, I think it's really important that we slow down and recognize what our body is telling us. And we have to have a release because there, I'm sure there's been times where your mom has um, seemed comfortable and, but you were anxious Something was not going, you know, well in your life. And then you can go talk to her. And then sometimes they'll mirror that back to us. And then we get mad because we think they started it, but we actually started with the anxiety. And, And a lot of people don't understand that people with dementia, no matter where they are in the process, they're still able to interpret our body language, you know, and it's kind of like when you're blind or deaf people say the other senses pick up and that's what people with dementia tell me all the time is you know they their vision a lot of times is clearer and brighter in terms of color the sound is louder and crisper and so something that's not loud to you and I might be really loud to them and you know again it depends on what part of the brain is being affected and everyone is different 
one person is not like another. They're similar, but um, but yet very different. And what works one moment um, might not work the next. And so it's really about developing a toolkit, sharing stories, um, so people don't feel as isolated and and alone. I mean, there's a there's a lot to be said. I think for feeling heard. Even if somebody can't fix what you're going through, it's like, no, they actually listened. Yeah. Another thing is that um, with my mom's symptoms, because everybody has different symptoms, my mom's symptoms, one of it, one of the symptoms that's being really affected is her speech. Mm -hmm. So if I don't catch her right then and there, like when my mom had her heart attack, um, if I didn't pay attention that moment that she said, my my left arm hurts like she told me my left arm hurts and I was just like okay that's not okay mm -hmm. you know you and she's like and then minutes later she's like okay I'm fine nothing and then I'm like your arm hurts she's like no it doesn't hurt no and like it's the dementia that's telling her that it doesn't hurt because their pain tolerance gets extremely high mm -hmm. they they it gets really high and she's like no I feel better and I'm like, no, I'm going to take you to the hospital. Let's go ahead and get you checked. If it's nothing, we come home. If it's something, let's get it treated. And for, um, sure enough, we get there. It's the beginning of the pandemic. And I'm not allowed in. So I'm like in a mess. And she's in a mess because I'm not right next to her. Like I'm always am. And then they bring me inside and then they tell me your mom's having a heart attack. We have to rush her into emergency um, surgery and get her like, you know, put a stent in her heart. And I was just like, okay, this is really happening. I have no family here in California. So I called my sister and I'm like, hey, don't freak out. Don't start going crazy. And I'm like, but my mom is going into surgery. They're like, wait, what's going on? And she's just like, she had a heart attack. And of course, they go crazy. They're like, oh, my gosh, she's having a heart attack. And they don't know what to do because they're 3,000 miles away. And I'm here by myself. And it was it was, it was, was a lot at that very moment. But dementia patients, they have a really, really high pain tolerance. They don't tell you, um how you call it frequently that they're having these pains and you have to really listen to them if I don't listen to my mom and that she's having this pain then it could get worse yeah especially with her her speech being impaired by the symptoms yeah and it could be where she's just rubbing her arm and you're like why are you rubbing your arm oh I don't I don't know you know but again they don't you know, bladder infections, all of those types of things oh, yeah. can occur and they don't know how to communicate it because they don't necessarily know where it's coming from, you know, or what's causing it. And, and, and so, yeah, that can be really, really difficult. So as care partners, really using what I call your multi-sensory skills to really piece things together. And sometimes you know, and not everybody believes this, but I'm a big believer in intuition. And but my intuition won't come through if I'm all rattled and crazy. So I have to stay calm. And I have to, you know, kind of ask for help in terms of what, what should I do next? Because yeah. this, you know, it's, it's not like an arrow sign going, yep, down this path, this is where you're going. I mean, it really is a guessing game um, with much of it. And, um, but I think if you're guided by <clears throat> by their comfort and really knowing what makes them happy, what makes them comfortable. You know, to me, those are two of the biggest keys up front, you know, so even you sharing with your siblings, you know, mom really likes to dance if she's getting stressed or whatever, you know, these are, these are her songs and these are the moves we do even, you know, or whatever it might be will be really helpful for them. Now, will they implement that stuff, you know, somebody might not like to dance or feel that that's silly. Um, and a lot of times people won't implement those things until they're pushed to, to their limit. And then it's mm -hmm. like, okay, I got nothing to lose here. This is driving me crazy. And then they're kind of shocked at the results, but there's lots how of, much it works. Yeah. There's, <laughs> there's lots of different ways to distract and each of us have our own relationships with people too. And so that's going to vary a little bit as well, but, but music and dance can be extremely powerful 
powerful, powerful tools. And if anyone hasn't watched, um, and you can get this on um, on YouTube, or I'm sure you can purchase it on Amazon, is Alive Inside. And you will see the magic of music and what it does to people in terms of waking them up and just um, sometimes being more cognitively connected, even after listening to music. Um, sometimes speech will be better or they'll be more present or more active and people are just shocked. And then they think back, what was the difference? Oh, we had, we had music playing, you know, or she was involved with singing or uh, dancing, whatever, whatever it might be there. Um, one of the questions I wanted to ask you too is, do you think there's a wrong way to care for a loved one? Do you think it's that black and white? Definitely not with your not doing it with your whole heart. I feel like that's that if you're not doing it with your whole heart, you're not gonna you're gonna just be aggravated. You're just gonna be frustrated. You're just gonna be getting mad. You're just gonna be yelling. You're just gonna be cursing at the world, like you know. And I think if you're not gonna do it with your heart, then I feel like you're you're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna you're gonna be more wind up than them being wind up. Mm -hmm. And then when you're wind up, like how you said, they mirror our feelings and they're gonna feel that and they're gonna wanna be like, Oh my god, what's wrong? Like what am I doing wrong? And they don't know what they're doing wrong. They don't know if left from right. They don't know if um uh you know what's up and down and they don't know that they're the ones being the making you the one upset mm -hmm. so I feel like if you're not doing this with your whole heart and you're just you know going in halfway just because you have to do it just because they're there next to you just because you're the one you know, you know, you're the daughter, you're the son, you're, you're the husband, mother, like, whatever the relationship you are with the person with dementia or Alzheimer's is just, you're not going to get the same results. I feel like if um once you start doing with your heart and you start learning from that, what's, what they like, what they don't like, what, what triggers them, what, um what helps them calm down when they're, you know, very, very agitated, or they get very restless, or if they want to, like, um, for my mom, I take her on walks, it mm -hmm. calms her down, if she doesn't have at least one walk a day, she is very, 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 like, um, how you call it, anxious, and she won't stop until she walks. Okay. Yeah, that's one thing that has always helped my mom, it just, like, trying to, uh, understand them a little bit more but if you're gonna continue being mad at the world because you're the one taking care of her you're not gonna get the results that you want mm -hmm. and I feel like that's the wrong way to do it yeah there's no there's no you could read 100 million types of how-to books but it's not gonna be the same because it's not your your mother or your um person that has dementia mm-hmm well, and even with that, I mean, you can look at so many different scenarios with this too. What works in one moment might not work the next because our days ha are different, you know, and, you know, you could be upset, you could be excited, same with her, she could be sad, she could be happy. And those, those different moods, just starting out with that, they're going to trigger a different response. Um, their their memory in terms of what what they're connecting with um, is going to affect how they react to something, and so yeah, it's it's always different. So never think that you have dementia in the bag, like you figured it out, <laughs> because it will prove you wrong <laughs> multiple times mm -hmm. over. I think dementia is really here to teach us to be more insightful, more flexible, more kind less judgmental and, um, and hey, more patient, <laughs> more patient. Yeah. Oh yeah. Everyone says that. And then also to really appreciate the real simple things in life that sometimes we overlook because we're looking for bigger and better. And, you know, we're keeping up with the Joneses and it's, uh, you know, I found it was really the little things with my mom that 
calmed my heart down even after she passed. You know, it was, I can still hear her giggle or I can still see her smile and her dimples, you know, or a squeeze of the hand. Those are the things that I remember. You know, it's not, it, it isn't the big birthday parties or the, you know, whatever. Um, it was a very small, gentle, peaceful, very well-connected moments or lotion and, and just massaging her hands, just having that connection or um, maybe sitting next to her watching TV um, in silence. You know, it was just those peaceful moments. And I think we need to, to look for more of those and, and how do we create those? Um, same with moments of joy. You know, I have a saying <clears throat> when I go speak, you know, what do you want in life? Um, do you want tears, fears, or joy? Well, everyone says joy, but we, you're not going to find joy if you're not looking for it and you can't create it if you're not in the present moment. Mm -hmm. you know? So if you are feeling great loss and, you know, in grief and you're crying, you know, you're kind of living in the past of what you've lost. And then the fear is usually what we project in the future could come, which can scare the bejesus out of us. Mm -hmm. And if we're in either of those modes, you know, we can't either identify or create joy because we have to be, we have to really be in relationship with them. We have to really be paying attention. Definitely. And to me, that was a huge lesson. And I, and I, I remember once I got it thinking, why, why aren't people teaching us this when we're little? And then I think, well, because kids already understand that, you know, they're, they're not judging. They just want to play, <laughs> you know, and then we, we unlearn that, you know, we teach them bad habits. Um, yeah, we start, we're the ones that start putting in our heads that this world is so bad. But if we look at the world, like little, like how you said it, like children, you'll see that they don't have a kid in the world. They're like, I want to be friends with everybody. I want to be kind to everybody. And people are just kinder, it, you know, it all makes somebody's day just by smiling at them. I know with my mom by her remembering who I am and saying my nickname, Lilita, I know that she knows who I am and that's what gets me through the day because my mom has totally forgotten who a lot of people are. Like uh, my uncle, when he's home, he, he asks her, what's my name? And then my mom responds, the only response she has is saying her name. Mm -hmm is saying her name because my mom knows her name we repeated to her one million and trillion times you ask her what's her name she'll be like she'll say her whole name first name middle name last name mm -hmm. she'll be like she'll say it proudly and then you ask her what's my name and then she'll repeat her name again and I'm like okay but that's your name what is my name mm -hmm. and then she'll just look at you like I don't I don't know. I don't know what your name is. So the moments that I, she does remember who I am, those are the ones that I do cherish because I'm like, I'm right here. Yep. So usually when she's asked for me, it's because I'm probably quiet for like two minutes and she'll be like, where's Lily? Where's mm -hmm. Lily? Like, you know, and I think that's going to be the another transition she's going to have to go to because I'm once she moves to my sister, I'm not going to be there. And when she asks for my name, She's gonna be like, "Where's Lily?" And I'm not there. It's gonna be something huge for her because she she's so used to me being next to her. Yeah. Well, and it's gonna be huge for your sisters too. Like, why does she keep asking that? You know, that's gonna be a normal thing that's gonna go through their head. And what they have to understand is, you have become her security blanket mm -hmm. because you've been with her twenty four seven, and that transfer is not just gonna happen overnight. It's gonna take time. And so to, for them to be patient and not, not personally be offended by that or, and, and I would recommend too, that people don't necessarily question her in terms of who am I, you know, what's my name, because that's going to cause her more frustration and more angst. And uh, a lot of us care partners have to learn to, when we come into a room, you know, we have to put a smile on our, on our face and kind of get a glint in her eye and say, you know, um, and I'll just use your name. Hi, Lily. I'm, I'm Lori. I'm your daughter. You know, um, I'm come here for whatever, you know, and just give them that information up front. 
mm-hmm. and see what happens. And there might be times when they're like, no, you're, you're, you're not my daughter. And they might not recognize you because you've aged, they've gone back in time and their mm-hmm. daughter is little. And, yeah. you know, those types of things can happen too, that a lot of times families don't understand. My mom used to call me her mom. <clears throat> and, exactly with me. <laughs> and, um, and my brother, you know, was with me one time when my mom was at the nursing home and, and we walked in and she yelled to her friends and there's my mother and she takes such good care of me. And my brother's like, what is she talking about? You know, you look nothing like grandma, you know, you're, you know, he just kind of went on and on. And then he, and then he went on to say, well, she calls me Chuck all the time and it just ticks me off. Well, Chuck was my mom's brother. And so I had to explain kind of both situations to him. And I said, Mark, you're forgetting mom didn't have a good relationship with her mom. When her, her dad died, when she was 15 years old of a massive heart attack, And my grandma story has it kind of had a nervous breakdown and she left my mom and she went around and kind of traveled the world and left my mom home alone. Now you couldn't get by with that in today's world, but back then um, that's what happened. So my mom felt very abandoned and disconnected from her mom when she did come back. And I said, Mark, I, I feel honored that somehow she has healed her relationship with her mother through our relationship. I think that I'm, I'm think how cool is that? I get to be part of that, you know? And he kind of shook his head like, well, that makes no sense to me. And then he's like, well, what about me? And, you know, why does she call me Chuck? And I said, Mark, she's gone back in time before she had kids, before she was married. And I said, Mark, if you're honest and you go look in the mirror, you'll look like Uncle Chuck when he was younger. You look, you look identical to Uncle Chuck when he was younger, you know, and, and he's like, but how could she not know me? I've, I've been her son for 50 years. And I said, because her brain isn't holding those memories. It's gone back in time. And, you know, she loved her brother. So that's a compliment. She loves you. Yeah. You know, my mom, it's funny how you say that they go back in time. My mom, sometimes she'd be asking, where are the little girls at? And I think that in that moment, she's trying to remember me and my sisters when we were younger. She was just trying to be like, where are my daughters? Like, mm-hmm. you know, and I tell her, oh, um, the girls went to school. Like, they should be back later. Let's, but when they come home, they'll be here. And she'll be like, oh, okay. Or they'll be, I'll tell her, oh, the girls went out to play or they went to the store or, you know, just try just to get her distracted and not necessarily dismissing that, you know, she's going back into time, but like just telling her, hey, like, it's okay. They're, they'll be back. You're safe and yeah. safe and, and getting to that point. And there's a lot of people that say, well, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to say that. And I'm like, it's, it's not about being right or wrong. It's about giving them comfort. Like sometimes people will say, um, you know, maybe someone will ask why their spouse isn't there. And they're like, well, they, they died or, you know, they want to go see their parents. Well, they've been dead for 30 years. Well, now they're reliving that pain all over again. And we all know how horrible that feels to feel that grief. Why would we want to spin somebody into that again when we can say, oh, they'll be back later? Because, you know, if you believe in an afterlife, you are going to meet up at a later time, you know. Um, but there but there are some people that are just dead, dead against that. You know, I call it a fiblet. Some people call it a therapeutic lie. There's all different kinds of names for it. But to me, it's all about getting them in a comfort zone. Um, some women will, you know, be looking for their, their young children and maybe a baby doll is going to just be the comfort that they need because they want to care for that baby. And uh, some people will have that um, at three o'clock, the kids are coming home from the bus. So they might need, you know, where are the kids? Where are the kids? Or I have to go to work. You know, those were their schedules. Mm -hmm. How do you plug in and give comfort to that or distract um, them and give them something else to do? Like you said, maybe you just start dancing and that becomes your routine. You know, there's lots of different ways to to deal with this, to make you both feel comfortable. And, And I think like 
if you can get comfortable with the fiblet or the the um, therapeutic lies, um, some of those memories, I know for me, just put a smile on my face because, and not that I'm laughing at my mom, mm-hmm. but I'm smiling because of the comfort that she got in that, in that situation, in that belief in her moment. And, you know, you can't, um, especially as the disease progresses, you can't rationalize with somebody mm-hmm. with dementia that that portion of the brain typically isn't going to be there to be able to do that. So why are you beating yourself up and them to try to make that happen when it yeah. physically is impossible, you know, at that at that stage? And I think it's also a huge win because they're actually remembering something mm-hmm. in, in their life, um, you know, especially what I try to do I try to keep the happy memories alive and then the silence let's like let's go ahead and change the subject let's let's talk about something else let's not go into the depression the sadness it's not that I'm just um you know totally uh dismissing that but it's just like I want to keep her as happy as I could yeah and it, it could get into a huge rabbit hole and she could get into depression. And then I don't want her to be in, depressed. I want her to be happy. I want her to remember of always being happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation, Lily. Is there anything that we haven't covered that, that you think needs to be said yet? Mm, we just need to find a way to do better um especially for our loved ones I know you do a lot on your end with you know Alzheimer's speaks uh but I feel like if everybody puts in and they share their story and they you know um try to you know take a little bit of time and get to know what dementia is we might have a better outcome we might have you know a better way to deal with it because there's no cure when uh, hopefully in the future we start finding cure but there's no cure for dementia it's one of like the saddest diseases that I I I say we all uh have to experience and I um we just need to keep spreading the word out uh that's pretty much all it. Like we just need to keep spreading our word because the more people know about it, the more they want to do something about it. They know a lot about cancer, but they don't know much about dementia. Yeah. Well, and I think part of it is we have to make comfortable environments and platforms for people to share their story, for people to learn. I think people are eager to to help, but they don't know how. And there's been you know, there's such a big stigma, you know, that, well, this isn't going to happen to me. That only happens to old people. My folks aren't that old or whatever. And then all of a sudden it happens to you. Mm-hmm. You know, there are people out there that still think, you know, you're only going to get dementia if you're in your seventies or eighties. And I, I know many, many people who have, um, have been diagnosed with dementia in their thirties, forties, and fifties. Yeah. And, and that changed yeah. the whole scenario, let alone in their in their 60s and, and 70s. So, um, you know, I, I've talked with one mother who's had two children when she lost at 21 and the other one is in her early 30s that is dealing with dementia. So, you know, none of us are safe from this. And sooner or later, we're all going to run into it. So we might as well be more educated. Mm-hmm. Um, and if not for ourselves, um, we're going to have a friend or, you know, a family member or a coworker or a neighbor who's going to need the information that we've run across. So we really need to share more. Social media has made that much easier to do mm-hmm. um, for all of us. And so the more conversations we have, I think it's the, it makes it easier for people to step into the conversation and learn because it's not as awkward. You know, there's 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 more out there to choose from and it's not as it's not as scary. There's a lot of a lot of hope and a lot of good that can come from this. And um, you know, there's lots of different ways that, that people can help, family or not, in terms of this, from businesses becoming dementia friendly and you know, supporting people out in communities, um, to you know, socialization um, platforms that can help engage 
maybe give a little respite uh, to somebody and uh, and things. So again, I, I thank you for your time and sharing sharing your story with us. You'll have to keep you'll have to keep us posted on how things are going and maybe your sisters will want to come back on the show with <laughs> yeah talk about how the the good, the bad, and the uglies of the transition, you know, because they'll probably be all three of those pieces. Um, that's just kind of part of change. Uh, but knowing that there's a greater good out there. Again, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Great. To our listeners, again, I hope you like, click, and share this show. You know, the possibilities of doing good is endless out there. So, you know, the more we can educate one another, the, the more we can understand what someone else is going through, the easier we make their journey and the smarter we make ourselves in our journey moving forward as well. So thanks everyone. We'll see you next time. Bye now. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.